cliffcentral.com. It's all right, all right, all right. It is time for the burning platform. Look, we've got the full cast and crew here this morning. Bumi Mashiko, Anthony Pele. Nice to see both of you. And guess what? We have so much to talk about. Surprise, surprise. Uh, politics in what? 2024. How are you, Canton? What's been happening with you? I'm pretty good. I'm just a, a, a bit disconcerted because the way Ryan's got the cameras rigged today, when I'm looking at you, um, I'm basically yep. looking down at uh, at your face out here, whereas technically cameras are there. I think. So, yeah, Don't right. Worry. Let me what's up with Don't this? Worry. And yeah, and guys, all of this is because of the fact that Gareth didn't get to the studio I this know. morning, and he's doing the show from home, and that's why right. he's having this talk about sleep because you overslept, right? Uh, correct. This is, everything is linked, uh, Captain. Uh-huh. Nothing's by mistake. Everything is on purpose on this show. Um, you know, so yeah, I've listen. got this brilliant. Listen, guys, I've got this brilliant app on my phone. It's called Sleep Cycle. It's a it's a free yeah. app, and uh, yeah. and basically what it does is it uh, it tracks your um, your the sound of your um, your sleep pattern, so your breathing and so forth. So if you tell it, I want to wake up at six a.m. It will wake you up at the point in REM sleep where you're about to slip in the, you know, back into deep sleep so that you don't end up waking up groggy. Sleep cycle. Sleep cycle. Yeah, it's brilliant. I, just, I have to be honest with you. I don't know if I like the idea that some app is listening to me sleep. Um, that, well, uh, well, you know, it's a, to- it's a toss-up between the app listening to you or, um, you know, not sleeping well. You know, you do you. It's all good. <laughs> I don't mind. All right. Okay. You know, I don't stress about these things. Um, let's get into it because there's quite a lot of stuff on the agenda this week as if it would be different any other week. So a lot of people still talking about Zuma and the ANC. In fact, we got an email from Vince and maybe we must go straight here because the burning platform is about what's going on in the news and politics (laughs) and the news always go together. So Vince says, Vince says in an email, what if Zuma and the ANC know that the ANC support is falling sharply? In fact, um, I heard that the ANC's internal polling says that they will do a hell of a lot worse than what everyone else is saying. Um, Like, we're talking really bad. Like, low 40s, high 30s in percentage points. Very bad. So the ANC is aware of this. So Vince is right on that front. He says, what if they know this and they've decided to do something about it together? So in the public... If Zuma and the ANC seem to be against each other, disgruntled ANC voters are more likely to vote for Zuma's MK party. Obviously, MK then sides of the ANC and KZN after the elections, and ANC power is restored. This is a better strategy than the ANC simply asking Zuma to endorse them. They know their voters are hot for. What do you think of that? You you know, on um, Game of Thrones, they they had Mm -hmm. the... the the old people would say, "Oh, you sweet summer child." <laughs> right? Or bless your heart, as the Americans would say. <laughs> <clears throat> Look, I think that there there are many theories that people will um, will have in their minds about who's going to vote with whom, and and there's a particular big opposition party that that does a lot of that kind of fear-mongering around smaller parties and other people throwing away your vote or sending it back to the ANC. Look, guys, I think people... I I don't see Jacob Zuma reconciling with Cyril Ramaphosa. 
I just don't see what it if they, What if they got rid of Cyril before the elections? <laughs> then the disgruntled voters. It depends on what the voters are disgruntled about. Are they disgruntled about Cyril? Are they disgruntled about the ANC? Are they disgruntled about service delivery? Yeah. Hmm. I, All right. Well, you I see, just, we, yeah. always, we start off. We start off with Vince's email because the most important people on the show are the people because who listen to the show. Uh, so he did. Wants we to not know wake up yesterday with the mm -hmm. news headline. Sorry, Gareth. Did we not also wake up yesterday with the news headline of how uh, the presidency and the state attorney are going after Jacob Zuma to repay the twenty-eight odd million rand as per court order? that was used to pay for his um for all his court cases right not all his court cases but one corruption case in particular yesterday this is mm. the news item and that's right all i thought about when i saw that was why now well what because it's the weaponization of the state against a potential threat to the incumbent it's exactly what's happening with trump and biden Before we get, I don't want to jump ahead here because we're going to talk American politics in, in a little while. There's a huge amount going on there too. I just want to bring this in because we seldom look at what's happening on the on the continent with the same degree of interest that we do Russia, China, America, whoever else. So no, we do. It's just that you guys shoot me down, especially Putin. Um, okay. so I don't think that's true. <laughs> so, um, Arriving here first thing in the morning. Okay, right. so the reason I, I want to bring this up, Hakainda Hichilema, who's the Zambian president at the moment, right? He's been president since August of 2021. The guy is making incredible strides in Zambia, and we, we're just not paying a lot of attention to him. But I saw this video. I think it's originally been posted on TikTok, but I saw it on Instagram. Take a listen to this. I want to hear your thoughts on Hakainda this. Hakainda Hichilema of Zambia is the best president so far in Africa. He's such a genius. I mean, look at this. Why are you using money to buy a VX for the mayor? That VX for the mayor can put toilets in all the markets in your constituents. Think along those lines. Hmm. Hmm. The mayor can still drive a nice car, but it doesn't have to be a VX. If you want to drive a VX, buy your own. <laughs> buy your own. Why do you want to pretend? You know that you cannot afford a VX. Why do you want to pretend? Because you are using taxpayers' money. Now you should pretend. Ah, but a decent Hilux, double cab, aircon. It's a fantastic bike. Why you want a VX? Why you want a car costing $200,000? When that $200,000, you can put toilets in all the markets in that constituency. So he, it goes on, I don't want to play the whole thing, but it goes on to uh, reveal that he actually did not buy new vehicles when he came in as president. His, his staff said to him, all right, you're the new president. It's time to buy some new vehicles. And he said, why? These ones are fine. Now, it sounds like a silly little thing. Right. It doesn't sound like a big deal. Like this should not be the big story. And obviously it's got that irritating voiceover that this is the best president Africa's ever had, which is ridiculous. But 
it is a kind of important thing that we don't see very often, not just on this continent, all over the world, let's be fair, where politicians use taxpayers' money for all kinds of bullshit that doesn't help the people that elected them, helps them as politicians. And if this guy is solidly standing against that stuff, even if this is symbolic, um, and he's telling the other people, mayors, premiers, ministers, to also stop wasting this money, that is a very important signal that needs to be sent out again. The people love it. People of Zambia love this. They're very, very charmed and impressed by this. What do you think of it? I have a question first, because you said, mm. uh, Gareth, apropos of this is the best president that uh, Africa's ever had. Who was the best president that Africa ever had? I don't know. I'm a little bit biased, but we kind of had a massive international hero uh, was our president for a little while. And I know he's come under fire lately and people in many parts of South Africa think that he was a sellout. But I would say ours is up there. Uh, well, you see, you see, so my view on this is, is if you take actual measurables and, you know, the measurables for me is that very basic thing that if you have economic growth that is outpacing your population growth, then that's the path to prosperity in a country. It's a, you know, sure. just a very simple metric. And you know, on that basis, you know, I'm very clear that Tabo Mbeki was the best president that this continent has ever had in terms of actually uplifting people out of poverty during his uh, his era. And if you use that particular metric, then Zambia is doing that right now. Uh, Uganda, uh, sorry, not Uganda. Kenya is doing that right now. Rwanda mm -hmm. very much is doing that uh, that right now. And it, it's basically, you know, the same pattern. I, th I think that when we start focusing on very specific visible things like like vehicles, you know, people who virtue signal around the fact that I am driving a small car because I don't want to be seen uh, to be flaunting my wealth in uh, the faces of the masses. But ultimately, that's not doing anything really in terms of boosting the economy. You know, I've, I often tell people from a business perspective, you know, having run businesses many times uh, over, you can't cost, uh, cut your way to success. Mm. You have to have growth. And yes, I think it, I think it's very cool that you have a president of a country who's sending out a visible signal that wasting uh, uh, money or not prioritizing expenditure is a good thing to do. But whenever I see that type of thing happening, I want to look at the big picture and I want to see where are the big ticket items that are actually being purchased? Where is the money actually flowing to? So Zambia in particular, you know, has very close relationships with uh, China. And mm -hmm. there are a number of deals that have been struck in that uh, context that, um, you know, with regard to management of airports and uh, and all of that kind of thing. And right. I want to get a sense of, you know, to what extent money is actually leaving the country that way before I start drilling down to the viral TikTok videos, which I think are very cool, by the way. And, you know, I'm not dissing those mm -hmm. viral TikTok videos, but... Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that if we try and replicate that particular thing out here, the fact of the matter is that the massive chunks of money that get stolen are not on the motor vehicles. Okay, the massive chunks of money that get stolen sure. are the contracts that get siphoned off to uh, the cadres on the side. And, you know, we, we, we drop the ball. We're uh, we not seeing the forest for the trees. Okay, Pums, do you agree? <laughs> 
you know, unfortunately, I think if you look at it on on a number line or on a timeline, mm -hmm. you you get blips of individuals coming into various countries, doing starting out very successfully, making changes, to, and then somewhere along the line, you know, Mugabe comes to mind. Even Canton spoke about Rwanda. I mean, the same story, watching what's happening in Rwanda. I think some parts of Rwanda may be on the upswing uh, on the back of a really, a for a lot of uh, people in Rwanda, a tyrannical president who is, for all intents, a dictator, right? But, but I do think that one of the biggest um, pitfalls that we have on the continent is we do have leaders on the continent that really just don't care about the people. Whether we're talking about the African Union and holding each other accountable, whether we're talking about the number of conflicts and wars that we don't care about, <laughs> all the various leaders on here. I mean, yesterday, one of the big news stories uh, coming out of Germany is about Sudan. You don't hear that here. At home, no one here at home is talking about the Sudanese and what's happening there. But no. the, the the biggest problem we have on the continent is we do not have leaders who hold each other accountable, and we do not have people who hold their leaders accountable. And so it may start out well, great. The Zambian uh, no, again, I'm going to contradict that, going Gareth, to... because we we have three very specific examples that are happening right now in Francophone Africa. We have uh, uh, Mali, we have uh, Burkina Faso, and we have Niger. And all of those right now, if you look in terms of all of the metrics around what's happening on the ground, there mm -hmm. is real delivery that is happening against a backdrop and, of against a backdrop of a lack of democracy let's be very clear about that and it's real conflict. delivery that's happened and, and the huge, huge conflicts conflict. the and huge conflicts dying. have been fomented by the foreign powers who are being expelled from those territories right now we have the rebranded wagner group by the way this is an interesting uh, 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 scenario that uh, you know russia's wagner group uh, uh, gareth mm -hmm. and Pum the one, the one that was headed by Prigozhin, yep. who uh, died dead. under mysterious circumstances. Yes, sure. uh, so now that, that's been uh, rebranded. It's called um, uh, the Africa Force or something like that. But uh, effectively, it's um, they've now been uh, being deployed into the, those three countries, effectively to uh, ensure that the insurgents that are coming on board, which are basically... Uh, the ISIS type, uh, ISIS Al Shabaab type guys, who were fundamentally funded by the Americans, remember, to start off. And there's actual real progress that's happening on the ground out there. You have the situation right now in terms of Kenya, where the um, they've basically agreed that every country in the world has visa free entry into Kenya. It happens to you, you have to do it through electronic processing online and subject your passport details and so forth. But it literally is. Um, I just want to ask you quickly, uh, since you brought up the Wagner Group, which is now called Africa Force or whatever it is, um, what would be to South Africa and, and many of our neighbors' advantage? Would it be for these, these Russian forces to prevail over the Al-Shabaab, ISIS, Boko Haram people? Or would we prefer to have the opposite occur? I mean, it seems to me like an obvious answer, 
But you go ahead, Canton, you tell me. Well, I think if we use the uh, Syria as an example, so yes. what is the what is the problem in Syria right now? The problem in Syria right now is that you have an illegal invasion of Syria, which is by the Americans, who have troops on the ground in Syria. Why are those troops on the ground in Syria? It's because the Americans are stealing Syrian oil as well as Syrian natural gas, and they are exporting it out of the country via Iraq. Now, the problem that we have on lots of this continent, DRC being a case in point, where you have mineral wealth in various parts of the country, which is why you have the conflict in the southeast part of the country that is being um, effectively backed by the Zimbabweans and by the Rwandese because they want access to the mineral wealth that is to be found in the southwest part of the country. The biggest mm -hmm. thing that, uh, that uh, Wagner slash Africa force, whatever they want to call themselves, brings to the party is the very simple act of being able to secure the borders against people who are coming from outside to steal the mineral wealth of the country and take it out. And I, I think that that is the, the fundamental point that we need to look for. How do you get to stability without having secure borders? In this country, you know, we can see oh, you know, the fact again, that people just hop across the Limpopo happily. Right, so, hmm. so borders notwithstanding as, as an obviously good thing for any sovereign country to protect, otherwise they aren't a sovereign country. You are not a country unless you have safe and, 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 and secure borders. Um, and we'll get to Biden in a little while because the exact opposite is happening there and the Texas governor is rebelling openly against him. We'll talk about that in a second, but let's stay on Africa. What What is to our advantage? What would play out to to maximize South Africa's advantage? Would we like these Russian forces to do better against uh, the, these Islamists? I don't see a, a, a potentially worse outcome for us if Russia wins. But am I being naive? Because I, well, I also you see, think I, I think it's not a question of whether Russia wins, because you know what what's very clear is that if you look across the arc of history, well, you when you, in scenarios where you've actually had Russian uh, troops on the ground, and they've been a rarity in, in terms of this continent having troops on the ground. Mm. There has been support that has come at uh, at various levels. But if you you think back to the apartheid era, it was Cuban troops that were on the ground in uh, Angola uh, slash Namibia rather than uh, actual uh, Russian troops. But the fundamental point for me is if you just use the DRC as a very specific example. Now, you take all of the economies of all of the SADC countries and take South mm. Africa out of that picture, okay? And yeah. you take all of the SADC countries and add them together, then you get the economy of the DRC. Mm. So... Now, what we have between the DRC and ourselves is massive instability, including in the DRC itself. So if you're right. actually able to stabilize the situation in the DRC and then by extension the surrounding countries, and you look in terms of places where Russia is currently playing a role. So they're in the Central African Republic, and um, uh, you currently still have chaos in, um, uh, uh, in the other Congo, the, the Republic of Congo. If you're able to stabilize that area, the immediate impact on that is you don't have this constant flow of refugees uh, fleeing from the DRC who inevitably end up in South Africa as car guards. Because the right. you know, car guards in this country, guys, is run by a Congolese mafia. You can mm, speak yeah. French to almost any car guard that you come across. Yeah. If True. you create stability in that part of the world, okay, and let's be very clear, stability is not the same as democracy. 
Because mm-hmm. what we've got out here right now is democracy in our country. And we basically I mean, Rwanda, is, Rwanda is stable. And as Pumi pointed out, they're not necessarily as... Look, uh, here, here, the, the guy's a, a mafia boss. But, okay. but, Paul he is a mafia boss. But where, where, hmm. So stability with a mafia yes. running the country. Yes. And who benefits from that? The masses on the ground. How because for the, on the ground because the average from having the mafia because they country. they have clean this streets they have are. lack of crime they have an overall increase not necessarily in, they, that's conjecture the, no this data that is conjecture so on how, the no, ground, how can data be DFC, conjecture when what, when what you can see data? a real increase in gdp per capita when you can see an overall increase in terms of educational levels when you can see an overall increase out, out of poverty the yeah, immediate place for you to start looking at is the CIA's World Factbook, which in turn draws upon a myriad of sources. Go to the, the World Factbook, check out the data in terms of, uh, of Rwanda, check out the data in terms of all countries, including ourselves. All of those get sourced independently. It's all very well to roll your eyes and you know just kind of shrug skeptically, but the data you is know, real. So I think, though, hmm. that you, you're having a conversation that says we would rather have a mafia run this particular state because we think that the mafia is going to keep the people safe is going to keep is going to keep stability in the country that's and every single gated community in this country is a mafia out of some kind of benevolence every single will, gated community in this country is run, run by mafia of whatever and most people want need. to live in gated communities why because you surrender you, some of your constitutional rights you out in exchange about, for the fact that people you build walls they enforce the rules. Of history and every Guys, way where Russia has had boots on the ground. Is this how it worked I, out for Afghanistan? Is this how it worked out for North Korea? They pulled out from Afghanistan. And and Did, let's let's just let's just look at this too. I mean, I don't I don't want us to get stuck here because obviously there's a there's a difference of opinion about what the optimal situation is. But th- th- there's no question about the optimal situation because we've got to deal with what's realistic and what's available. What's amazing is that Russia can bring a very small number of active military personnel into a place and have maximum effect on this continent. It doesn't take a lot. You know, we often think, well, you would need a massive invasion army like they like they have in, in Ukraine, for example, um, and, and that, that Russia is mounting against the Ukraine. But actually, you don't need nearly as many people in Africa to cause chaos or to stop chaos. It just requires a few people who are well-armed and who are well-trained and you can get anything you like. I mean, we've seen coup attempts in places like the Comores and Equatorial Guinea and all the rest of it. They failed, but very many others that we don't even know about have succeeded. Well, the, that's a very critical point that you're raising there, Gareth, because the number of boots that Russia ends up having on the ground with these operations is not enough to mount an invasion, let alone an occupation. And invasions are easy. Okay, occupations are really difficult because then you have to fight against people with uh, uh, you know, who have a vested interest in driving you out of the country. And the primary role that they play out there is to ensure that the people who are on uh, the ground, the actual troops for that particular country, are incredibly well trained. And more importantly, they then get to tap into all of the technology resources that Russia has access to. Because remember that satellite surveillance is a significant mm. part of actually being right. able to track where Al-Shabaab terrorists are coming to your country. And let's be very clear, okay? The, these guys are terrorists, whatever, yeah. however you might, okay? 
Al Shabaab yeah. are terrorists. And, 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 ISIS are terrorists. Hamas are terrorists. Let's be clear about. We this. talk about uh, we we have a problem with um, with Paul Kagame, but re- <laughs> with all the love in the world uh, and considering the history of Rwanda in particular, it seems to me a preferable outcome to have a mafia boss in charge of your country, as you put it. Canton, those are your words, not yeah, mine. I mean, uh, and we, to, if you throw that, it's just put, the thing. Put they're not in charge of the country. They have a bunch of Islamists who are running around chopping off people's heads. They're not in charge of the country. They're only in charge of those areas that benefit them. They're not in charge of the country. They're only in charge of those areas, those mining areas where they are interested, where they get maximum benefit. The rest of the rest of it can go to hell. They are not extracting minerals from Niger. Russia is not extracting minerals from Niger. If you look in terms of every single thing that Niger currently produces, so Russia is a net exporter of uranium. Let's be very clear about this, which is the single biggest product right now that everyone is mm-hmm. concerned about with regard to Niger. Russia is a net exporter. They have no interest in actually obtaining uh, supplies from there. Are they? Do so they have an interest in, in making sure? Doing? What are they doing in Niger? What are they doing in Niger? They try to get stability out there and more importantly, to try and prevent the collapse of multilateralism. Because remember that all of these countries have been destabilized for the longest time. The plans in terms of the reason why the West has consistently gone after Russia is they wanted to break up Russia and obtain its mineral wealth. And they've been very successful in doing that in Africa. Remember the the very simple act that the uh, that the Nigerians did at the point at which they came in was to simply raise the price of uranium from cents in the euro to about twenty euros. Yeah, it's, I mean, just, just such, a, such a very simple so, thing. Okay, so, surprise, this, this surprise. Is, yeah, uh, there's no such thing as altruism. So now they mm. control the market, and Niger can't Niger can't without Russia's. Uh, blessing or their benevolence they can't monetize no they're monetizing they're monetizing quite happily only as much as russia is willing to allow them on what on what basis do you say that other than your fundamental bigotry against russia no just give me just give me one one bit of data because you haven't provided one bit of data other than the fact that you know show me on this map where russia has hurt you (laughs) russia has not hurt me in any way but i'm saying to you that you do not have a such a thing as a benevolent colonizer a benevolent dictator or benevolent mafia no but you do have people they are particular you do have people who go out of their way to help other people in in particular scenarios listen because so i'll give you an example okay all right i'm in rotary we do stuff like we build libraries, we build sports courts, we provide water supplies, we sink boreholes. Because it Why makes do we you do that? feel good. Not because it makes me feel good, but because it leads to a better society and I want to live in a better society. Now translate that to a global so because level. Because you want yes. a society that you yeah, have course, created. But, for business business. but that's exactly what I'm saying. Yes. Is you don't do it because the everybody benefits you do it because you feel better no i'm doing it because everyone benefits you no it benefits me because everyone benefits all right i I don't i don't want to say clean up streets hold on the the point of the burning platform is not for us to get into issues around human nature much as they will arise (laughs) from time to time i want us to focus on something i think most people in this country are interested in so yesterday they had a multi-charter multi-party charter meeting in Durban. I saw all the opposition leaders headed there. 
They all got together. They briefed members of the media. They had a big de- uh, debrief in Durban Harbor on Tuesday. And apparently they said the ANC and its government are responsible for what it termed the collapse of the country's economy, pointing to high unemployment rate, poverty, etc. Action SA leader Herman Mashabo has vowed that the multi-party charter will put this to an end. They're promising big things. But is this multi-party charter working? And I know that uh, Courtney Mulder, who was on our show last year, you, you guys will recall, he is uh, very much the guy who's trying to push this multi-party charter, trying to get everybody into the same room. He's the adult in the room, as far as I can tell, who's trying to get these guys to stop putting their ego ahead of the, the interests of the people of South Africa. Most people in this country, Franz Cronier said on Tuesday, are in favor. Even ANC supporters are in favor of coalition governments by a wide margin. So does the multi-party charter have any chance of success? Is it worth paying attention to? And if it is, what can we do to help it? The question is, do we need the charter? Surely the short answer is just vote for anyone besides the ANC. And if you've done that, it doesn't really matter. Let the parties then, when they get to parliament, actually work out how they are going to be running the country in coalition if we get to that stage. You but think there's do no we really do, do we really no I don't see the I don't see the point around the charter. Okay. Other, other than uh, other than you know to basically establish cartel that's going to say we are going to divide up particular territories. I can see the merit in having that in terms of municipal elections because in municipal elections when you have all of the smaller parties that are contesting particular wards then you end up effectively handing that ward to the ANC. That makes sense because there you're drilling down to actually splitting the vote. But when you have proportional representation in the national parliament, it really doesn't make a difference because ultimately, as long as you're voting for anyone besides the ANC, you're achieving the same goal. And, you know, let's talk about the charter later. For me? You know, the multi, what multi-party charter, as they mm-hmm. call it, is bad politics. The guys are spending all of this time uh, nuts and bolts around how they're going to work this thing out. They're not spending their time getting voters to believe in who they are and what they stand for and convincing them to give them their vote. All that we see when we see multi-party charter conventions, they have them. And it's interesting that they went to have it in KZN. As you mm-hmm. see, at the moment, I think five or six parties mm-hmm. coming together to say, give us your vote and we're going to fight for who does what. This one seat, there are, there this are, is how we're going to fight for this seat. To be it's, clear, it's, so there are 12 parties. There's a DA in Carter Freedom Party, Action SA, and then a bunch of the rats and mice ones. And instead of being out there, I, I have not seen, you know, over the weekend, uh, Rise and Zanzi came out with their um, People's Manifesto. Mm-hmm. 86 pages long. Uh, <laughs> and, and we know that the EFF next month is going also to Moses Mabida to have the, to launch their a manifesto and later two yes. weeks later the ANC is in Moses Mapida launching their manifesto. Uh Inkata will be launching. So we are seeing, but they are not out there talking to the voters. We spoke in the last hour about eight hundred thousand matriculants 
uh, what are they saying to those matriculants to get them to give them their vote? Let me just ask. They're holed up in a room with each other saying this is no, how we're going to slice it up. Because we, we criticize the, the opposition constantly for just being anti-ANC. And then when they sit down and they try to actually formulate policy and come to agreement on how the economy should work, which was the purpose of this meeting, what are they going to do? They, they worked on a collective strategy to fix the economy. That was supposedly what was, what was meant to be achieved yesterday. Whether they had or hadn't, they had certainly a plan that they wanted to tell us about, which was the purpose of yesterday. So they're doing something that we've Aaron, been asking them to do. Now we're criticizing them for that. Gareth, you, you, you've heard us say this before that elections are like going overseas, right? You may know what you're going to do when you're on your Contiki arriving in Paris and Brussels and all of those places. But if you don't get on the plane, all those wonderful plans mean fogol. That's what elections are like. So they can get together and have all of these plans. This is also what they're supposed to be doing in parliament, by the way, right? But if they don't have sufficient representation on the other side of this, all their wonderful plans mean bagarol, as my uncle would say. And what they should be spending their time on now is convincing the voters to get out and vote for them. All right, but um, I'm pointing out that we are speaking with forked tongue here. And correct me if I'm wrong, Canton, we constantly go on about how the opposition is just anti-ANC and they're just out there campaigning the whole time and they don't tell us what their plans are. They don't have a message for the voters. And then when they come up and they craft a message for the voters, then we criticize them for doing that and not just going out and campaigning. <clears throat> No, don't get me wrong. I wasn't criticizing them in the slightest, Gareth. I, I'm, I'm just saying that I don't see the point. Um, I'm very happy for them to get together and formulate economic plans. And if they can actually reach cohesion around those economic plans, well, good for them. But it's very clear to me that the simple steps that you need to take in order to fix the economy is scrap broad-based black economic empowerment, scrap the Basic Conditions of Employment Act, scrap the Labor Relations Act and scrap minimum wage. And if you do those four things, our economy will fly through the roof within the space of a year. If people are actually talking about that level of practicality, which, you know, frankly, is going to be hugely unpopular with everyone who currently benefits from those things. So Cyril is doing exactly the right thing right now from his perspective by saying correctly, we are paying you guys 350 rand a month. And if the DA comes into power, they're going to take away that 350 rand a month. Well, you know, <laughs> how do you actually end up coming with a bad medicine uh, solution in that scenario that the masses are going to buy into? You know, I don't really know the answer to that. But, you know, if they've come up with something, uh, did, you, did you come across anything in terms of what they came up with that made sense to you, Gareth? Because I haven't actually had any details, so no, I don't want to... Uh, I mean shoot my mouth off what, no all, they, all they did all they did as far as i can tell is that they've been discussing the options and of course now they have to come to an agreement of some kind but they were criticizing the anc as they always do which is correct because they should be criticized i wish that they could have said and v Rus says it here himself thank you canton for expressing something i struggled with the mpcs used this just vote for not anc so really i mean has it come down to that yes basically 
it's, it's, it's the most most practical thing, you know. But we've been saying on this show for you know the past seven or eight years, I would say, Gareth, that what we need to do as a country is to get the ANC below fifty percent, and that's the crucial thing that matters. Thereafter, um, you know, everything will get fought in Parliament, and there'll be very public debates around how to fix particular problems, and then there'll be votes on particular pieces of legislation, and they will get passed based on... And mind you, all those. of mm-hmm. these parties have got their own charters. They've got their own mm-hmm. plans. They've got their own policies. Th- those are the things that they should be out there using. And and you see, the thing is being a coalition of the disgruntled is also not a very um, smart strategy because what they should be spending their energy on is telling people to vote for them. Telling people to vote for them. Getting together, they all have their own, the the IFP, the IFP are going to have their own uh, manifesto coming up in a couple of weeks, right? They're having their own manifesto coming up in a couple of weeks. These guys are not saying, we're all merging and we're becoming one party and everybody, these are the 20 things that each one of our parties have. This is where they cross each other. So these ones we're going to scrap and all of us are going to be this one party. And this, Because when you get your ballot paper, when the day to vote comes, when you walk into that voting booth, when you get your ballot paper, there will not be a place that says MPC, put your cross here. So who has put a good case together for you to vote for them? Which party do you think at this stage, because nothing's perfect, you know, and they've got only a few so weeks, only, months. I've, I've only gotten to page 40 of the, of the Rise Mzansi. And, and because Rise Mzansi is new, you know, they, mm. they are the, the ones that have spent a lot of energy because everybody else, you've seen their stuff. No one's coming out with anything drastically new from what they've always said. The DA isn't changing course. What they've said in the last election is probably going to be what is in their manifesto going forward. The ANC too, what's going to be in their manifesto is going to be the same that we have seen in the past for the past four elections. The IFP, the EFF, all of them are going to have the same. I'm only on page 40 though, but 86 pages. And what is it? <laughs> and so, it far, so far, so, so, so far there's so far there's nothing new. So far, there, okay. there is nothing new that they. And oh yes, somebody's just saying in the comments that Bosa is also going to be coming out. I know we uh. know we had uh, Musi Maimane here, and he's got a ten-point plan. So, all right, but these are Garrett, all you know, no, Garrett. To answer your question, um, so there. Remember, we we've got this dichotomy between the national vote and and the local vote. Interesting thing mm-hmm. for me is if you draw a parallel between the stuff that. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the the Texas border, and we've actually got mm-hmm. a similar scenario happening in our country because the only party so far that's gone and actually tackled the crisis that we've got on the Limpopo has been Gaten's party. Yes, and there's in- interesting parallels that are happening out there. So, but you know, obviously, I don't want to preempt this. He's going to be on the show next week, and I really want to hear what he's talking about. But frankly, right now, he's the only one who is actually saying anything at a practical level, that's actually mm-hmm. going to have an immediate impact on the welfare of the people um, on the ground. Um, in terms of who we're going to vote for, I'm, I'm probably going to vote for the DA in the province 
there's no way in hell that I'll vote for the DA nationally because their foreign policy stance is uh, going to very firmly um, uh, keep us as vassal states of uh, of the Great West, and I don't see that as being good for us. I, I still don't okay. have anyone to vote for at the national level. I suspect that right. if I was in KZN, I would vote IFP. That's interesting, and I suppose also you've got to you've got to evaluate how you would if you're going to split your vote nationally and politi- and, and provincially what you'd prefer to do with it. But I think also actions speak louder than words in much of this, and I like the fact that you brought up Gaten and the Limpopo border because he was up there in a uh, a reflective jacket, like actually trying to arrest people, which is more than any of the other parties have done. Um, but you, you could also point to the Western Cape. I was there again yesterday, and you see how, how it's run properly. I mean, it's not run perfectly, but it's run properly as compared to the rest of the country. Surely actions speak louder than words. And all of these manifestos and these plans and these multi-party charters and all the rest of it mean bugger all if they can't execute. No, absolutely right. You know, would I rather love, uh, run uh, live in a DA-run province than um, an EFF-run province? Absolutely. So... <laughs> yes, well, actions do speak louder than words. The EFF have not run anything, and I think that's on purpose. They 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 don't want to actually govern. It does. It's not a position that they want to be in. I don't see the EFF actually contesting on that basis at all. Most of their rhetoric well, is not around service delivery or doing things for people. Am I well, wrong? Remember that in the municipal elections, the EFF have, to my mind, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, Pumi. I don't recall them winning a single ward anywhere. All of their power, all of their power comes from proportional representation votes in the municipalities, which is why they've been able to cause the type of chaos in Johannesburg. Etequini. Um, again, you know, because they, they don't win wards, but on the proportional ballot, they end up, um, you know, causing chaos. So Pumi and I started the show this morning um, talking about what the parties are all projecting they're going to get. And Pumi said they all think they're going to get 15%, all these small parties. Um, are there any of these these ones? Let's take the, the patriotic alliance at the bottom of the pile of actual contestable, you know, one or more percent parties. Um, the ones below that, Bosa, Rizem Zanzi, uh, Sara, which I've seen posters for, that's... Um, who is that? Colleen Makubele it's, or something. It, it's also a it, it's it's also a uh, balgabation of parties. Yeah. Colleen Makubele right. is just well, the face of it. Right. So uh, th- there's there's other little parties in KZN who've always been part of the the action there. But do you think any of these guys, if they don't form part of some bigger coalition and throw themselves under the aegis of another party? You think any of them have any effect at all? I mean, here's poor Pumi reading 40 pages of a manifesto that, you know, they'll be lucky if they get 1%. So, you know, to the point that uh, Koketsu was talking about on the show uh, last week around people coalescing around highly localized stuff. And, you know, we use the very specific example of uh, Matateo in, in KZN, where they basically formed that party and they campaigned on the basis of a single issue, which was the question of whether Matateo becomes part of KZN or or part of the Eastern Cape. And and so they were were able to actually garner sufficient uh, votes to actually get representation 
uh, both in parliament and at a provincial level, and that actually ended up giving them uh, influence. So to the point that you're asking as to what extent um, these smaller parties are going to be able to do anything, I think it's going to depend on the extent to which they're able to tap into the zeitgeist of particular communities. And, you know, Gayton in Beaufort West being a very specific case in point. I think that that becomes an object lesson in how to actually build a support base at, at a highly localized level and thereby project that into the national parliament. But in terms of the big picture, the ANC is obviously still going to be the biggest player. And the other players are going to be the DA, and it's going to be um, the EFF, and it's going to be the IFP. But the uh, but really what we should be talking about at this point is what happens around, um, uh, what are these guys, uh, uh, MK, yes. Yes. Because okay, if, well, if, if we yeah, if we use the example of uh, what happened in the split of Cope from the ANC back in the day, Cope actually ended up then with twenty percent of the seats in Parliament. Mm-hmm. People tend to forget that. I think that yeah. this is actually a co- the MK is a Cope moment, uh, moment right now for um, uh, for the ANC because. You know, uh, it's very clear to me that Zuma has this incredible pulling power uh, on the ground. There, There is a cult of personality around him, and I think he's going to take a significant chunk of the, uh, the votes, and he's going to be a kingmaker in many parts of the country. So those are the ones that, that really matter. The extent to which the others are going to be able to grab a stake, I, th- I think that Gayton's actually going to fill the gap that was... Uh, previously occupied by Patricia DeLille. I think that she's going to have a fall off in terms of support because there was a betrayal of her voters because she promptly ended up in partnership with the ANC and feathering her own nest. So those are the the only players that, that really matter. The Freedom Front Plus, I think, uh, has got a very firmly established niche and I think they'll maintain their position. I don't know to what extent they'll grow it because I don't see them having enough of a visible presence other mm. than, you know, to actually continue doing exactly what they're doing. It's not that they're seizing upon a particular area and trying to mobilize people around that and, you know, to get them to, to, say, to say, look, we're doing this brilliantly out here, so here's why you should vote mm. for us. And I think Gaten, no matter what you may say, he's going to point to Beaufort West and uh, say, look, we managed to make things work out yeah. here. So. Yeah. Uh, Pums, yeah, was it a waste of opportunity? Say again, Kara. Was it a waste of time to read that Rise and Zanzi manifesto? No, it's never a waste of time. Information and knowledge is never a waste of time. And mm. what I was specifically looking for, uh, a little bit, you know, speaking about how Koketso sees how the electorate should be galvanized and what Kanthan's talking about now. You know, a national election and a provincial election on a smaller scale, really is about being able to to seize uh, issues that transcend my little corner of the world. Right? It's, it's about being able to take the thing that can resonate with the highest number of people across the nation to be able to get them to believe and vote for you. And and so 
where you have parties that are looking at very specific niche things that may speak very deeply to 10 people in Beaufort West <laughs> or to 10 people in Matatiel does not necessarily translate into a wave that can carry a party into national into the national arena and where people i think the parties that are going to be the big winners going into this next election are going to be ones who can see the big issue that affects the maximum number of south africans and be able right. to articulate a messaging around that that inspires South Africans to believe that they can make a change around it. That's where the so, ANC falls short right now, is people are saying, we have seen you in action for 30 years, and this is where we are. You may have been good in 1994, you may have been good in 2008, but today in 2024, you no longer serve my needs. What is sad is that most of those people who feel that way would rather stay home and not go and vote Absolutely. than vote for anybody else. That's the that that's actually the the sad part. And and unfortunately, because democracy requires participation of people first at the ballot, in yeah. order to feel like they were part of making this thing happen, so that it opens up the valve in terms of the areas where the pressure is building up in the system. We are seeing currently most South Africans opting out of that part of the system, and therefore we are seeing a rise in uh, politically motivated demonstrations in various communities. We see uh, political killings in other communities. We see a huge rise in that kind of unrest in the country because people are not believing in the democratic system as it is currently because they don't go and vote because they are disappointed by the incumbent, but they feel there is nowhere else where they can turn to get solutions. All right. I want us to use the remaining five minutes to just quickly refer to what's going on in America because they are on the brink of something quite enormous, I think. This border crisis has now escalated and escalated. There are just millions of people who have poured over that border, not just porous, but just open in the last uh, three and a half, four years especially, but even before that. Um, and we've seen all the stuff, the kids in cages. We've seen... You know, ordinary civilians um, who have guns trying to protect their private property if they live on the border, if they have farms on the border and so on. And I see that this week, due to a Supreme Court decision, which has basically said the Biden administration can keep removing razor wire that private citizens and the Texas uh, governor have been <coughs> putting up along that border. Uh, the Supreme Court, which is supposedly very right wing, have decided, no, those those border fences, those wires can be cut down, forklifts can be moved in, et cetera, et cetera. It's an open uh, rebellion that he's declaring here because he said, uh, and I'm going to quote just this part, James Madison, Alexander Hamilton, and the other visionaries who wrote the U.S. Constitution foresaw that states should not be left to the mercy of a lawless president who does nothing to stop external threats. That's Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, this morning, basically saying, Texas has the right to defend itself. We will patrol our border even if the federal government says they will not. And even if the Supreme Court says they will not. You know, it's that idea that 
um, as, as another commentator put it, the idea that the only reason we stop at a red light is because we assume the other people who are perpendicular to us will stop on their red light. The moment the people who are meant to stop at their red light stop doing that, they stop obeying the law, then what incentive is there for us to accept the green light for go and the red light for stop? We may as well not follow the law either. I think one of the things that we need to point out in terms of the Supreme Court decision is that it was a correct decision because, you know, most people say this is a right-wing court. It's it's an originalist court. And mm-hmm. are national borders the, uh, uh, the purview of the federal government, of the state government? Well, national border is the purview of the, uh, of the national government. And Yes, yeah, you know, as uh, you know, does the state, uh, the city of New York, for example, as part of New York State, have the right to uh, pitch up a JFK and uh, erect a fence at passport control? The answer to that is no. Yeah. So, so you know, then, one actually, yeah. yeah so, the, in terms of the legality, then Greg Abbott is in open rebellion. Yeah, so Greg Abbott is in open rebellion, but so but what Greg Abbott is doing, so the Supreme Court says correctly that the Biden administration has the right to take down the razor wire, but the Supreme Court did not say that Greg Abbott does not have the right to put up razor wire. And so what Greg Abbott is doing is he's replacing the razor wire as quickly as the Biden administration is taking it down. This which, is such a waste of time. No, it, it it is a waste of time uh, from uh, the perspective of those of us who are sitting on the outside. But this actually is an ex- existential threat to the integrity of the United States of America. Because effectively what the Biden administration is doing is that they are importing voters. Because remember yes. that once these people cross the border uh, into the U.S., they don't need ID in order to be able to vote. And they're going to pitch up in all of these key constituencies that are going to be, uh, and that's exactly the way in which the 2020 election was rigged because of the fact that you had a larger number of people who voted in that election than they were actually registered voters in the United States based on the fact that you could have mail-in ballots without voter ID or you could pitch up without voter ID and actually vote. So, yes. This, uh, you know, might seem like like it's it's trivial, but um, uh, you know, certainly, I think Abbott is very clear that if the Republicans are going to survive, and you know, indeed, if the United States, uh, the version of the United States they believe in, is going to survive, they're going to have to keep these migrants out. Hmm. I think it'll be the biggest uh, issue around the elections. Do you agree, Pums? I do not have sufficient information on this particular issue to comment. So I'm going to reserve my comment. <laughs> Fair enough. Probably the safest position. Uh, Canton, how's the book doing? People were commenting about your book, How to Fix South well, Africa. How's it doing? <clears throat> the book's doing well. Um, basically, what I do is, uh, you know, people say, come and talk to us. And I, I pitch up at, you know, their, their workplaces or their, uh, their, their group, give them a talk and tell them what I'm trying to do. And uh, and and sell the book and yeah that's my kind of uh, uh, primary method of going about marketing it. So it's uh, eating that elephant one mouthful at a time, as I say. Very good. 
Uh, Pums, we will see you next week, Thursday. Uh, hopefully, we'll have Gaten McKenzie on the show next Thursday. We've got a lot to talk to him about. And uh, thank you both for your time today. That is the burning platform for this morning. We will see you tomorrow at 6 a.m. Cheers, everybody. Bye-bye.